Season 2, Episode 11. Hello, I'm Pat Axbom. And I'm James Royal Lawson. This is UX Podcast. We're in Stockholm, Sweden, and you're listening to us all over the world from here in Sweden to Switzerland. Joining us today is Mina Kodendaraman. Mina is an experienced strategist at the human-centered research practice Twig and Fish. As well as her consulting practice, Mina also lectures in the Bentley University Human Factors and Information Design graduate program. In our conversation with Mina today about research, we dig into the question of how to ask the right questions. Today's interview was recorded at UXLX, which is a conference that is held every May in Lisbon, Portugal. Tickets are on sale now and sell out every edition. So in the, on the podcast, it's um, a situation we regularly find ourselves in is that we are supposed to come up with questions before the interviews. Sometimes we don't, um, which means we have to come up with questions on the fly. And during these podcasts, we we often find ourselves talking about subjects that maybe we've never thought about before, mm. um, or maybe we haven't thought about for for a while. Um, and you know, this, okay, this is a podcast context. Um, but this is also something from a research context. And there is that pressure to come up with the right question. And, you know, absolutely. Th- you feel that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no doubt when you are in the asking position, if that's fair to say, when you're the person asking the questions, um, you think a lot about the wording, the choice of wording. <clears throat> Does it actually convey what you want it to convey, but you have a bit of a trump card because you know ultimately what you want to go after and you know how you're going to sort of craft a path to get there. Right. For the participant, (laughs) they're not quite as lucky because there's this thing called bias. And if you tell them things in advance, then sometimes people go, well, wait a minute, you're biasing them. Mm, Yeah. Um, So... It's a little harder for the participant, I would say, because it's hard for them to actually project that arc that you're going toward and sort of meet you at the end in the right place and then often wonder, did I do a good enough job? <laughs> did I actually answer the question? Um, whereas for, of course, the person asking the question is, did I ask the question that I wanted to? Because sometimes it's sort of like when you play Pictionary, you know, yeah. you're probably yes. both familiar yeah. with yes. Pictionary and you you see the word as chair and you start to go, okay, and you draw something and I don't know, somebody starts talking about cows and then they suddenly get stuck with farm animals and then they go flying off into farm animals <laughs> and then you're just trying to pull them back to wooden furniture and there's no hope. So it's one You've of those them, moments, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's one of those moments where you really pray that you don't, you can very carefully sort of it's almost like I, I visualize it as putting little um, garden pebbles on your path and go, you're going to just follow this trail with me. And if they can follow you all the way to the end, bravo. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you don't want them getting distracted by the cow chair. <laughs> <laughs> Too early anyway. I mean, it can come later on. 
Well, there was something you said there. I mean, there, there's so much self-doubt, both within the interviewer and the interviewee. Yes. So there's a dance going on. Yes. Beneath, the, like on a lower level, which we don't really address. Absolutely. And the thing about the interviewer is that they are they are dwelling in this content. So if it's about the podcast, for example, you have thought about the podcast, you think about it, you're, you're the people who are curating that experience. But as the person who is answering the question, I didn't wake up yesterday thinking about your podcast with no disrespect. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I woke up thinking about the fantastic breakfast I wanted <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. But you know what I mean? It's that kind of, I my brain goes elsewhere because I'm not actually going to think about your world immediately. So if you are a financial company and you go, tell me how you invest, I'm going to go, wow, okay, uh, investments. Like when was the last time I invested and what did I, what did I do? And it's recalling those moments that is incredibly difficult where you want to sound you want to articulate your story in a way that you have all the pieces together. You don't want to overlook something. And how often is it that when we answer a question, we're like, oh, and I forgot to say this. Yeah. And you, you want to add it in, but then did you add it in in a way that it placed itself properly in your story? It's very hard on both sides. Um, and I really feel for when, when people think that conducting research is merely the ask of a question, there's so much more to it. Um, and we want people, we want to give people a chance to articulate their thoughts as well and sort of reflect on them. So if I, you know, if I ask you how your morning commute is and you just go, it's gnarly, there's more to that. I mean, even our prior conversation right now about sound and how sound fills a space and how do we consume sound, it's more than just, well, I love listening to podcasts. Mm. What is it about the podcast? What is it about the music that you play in the background? What is it about the words or the intonation in your voice, James? Like, what is it about those details that we really want to understand and give that person, that person who's answering our questions, a moment of reflection to really step into and go, huh, I didn't realize I actually do like silence in the background. Yeah. It never occurred to me. Actually, you know what? That's a good point you raised. When people can arrive at that moment, that's when you know you've sort of, you know, hit the magic. Or do you even just like the podcast because you happen to be listening to it while you're passing through this beautiful space in nature? Precisely. Precise. So yeah. is it is it intrinsic? Yeah. Is it extrinsic? Yeah. We want to unpack those details. Like my my personal my personal pet peeve as a qualitative researcher is people are sort of missing the point of doing qualitative research because often what they want to do is quantify the results. Right. Five of seven people said they were happy. You know, two of seven said that they were sad. Some said they were neutral. And it's very, very difficult to understand that. What do you do with that? Because ultimately, whatever we do provide as qualitative research output needs to either inspire or inform the design team accordingly. But hopefully the qualitative side really is meant to inspire. It really gives a lot of excitement because you're hearing that story from somebody who's giving you a very well-rounded account of something that happened. Yeah. Is it two out of seven? Really? It, that's so interesting because does that mean that the 
two people out of seven don't matter because they're the minority, whereas the qualitative research could tell you they're maybe the most important people. The, the thing, the thing about that that I find is really interesting. I'm putting my cup down so slowly. Is that when we look at the the reasoning for qualitative research, a lot of times it is to inspire. What we want to do is then, if we're looking, if somebody is a designer and they're like, how are we going to design this? What they're looking for in that moment is inspiration. We don't need to tell them how to design because they are designers. I think designers are brilliant people. But what we need to do is give them a landscape, sort of a variety of options to consider, or not even options. That's not the right word. It's a variety of considerations. So that if I go, okay, well, here's how emotions sort of pan across. They can then go, wow, we've done these, but we haven't done these. And it starts to offer them sort of sparks, if that's fair to say, because that's what I really think research output gives you is a spark of creativity. It's like it prompts you in a certain direction that gets you excited about, wow, we didn't consider this, or oh my gosh, here is the gap in this experience, and now I can go and solve it. And I feel like research interactions, when we are in that moment of gathering data from a participant, if we don't describe that space or describe that gap that somebody has um, in depth, or even to the point where we feel they've really explored that aperture, like the wider aperture, I think we really lose a lot of richness to the data. Yeah, you lose the richness and also you, you, you narrow the spectrum, I guess, as well. So Absolutely. You're going to present, you, you, you almost use the word options there and then back to promotions, but like, yeah. I mean, I understand what you mean because it's that, that spectrum of, of, of research insights that, you know, yes, we, we got these ones and maybe these are the most common ones that we, you know, we can group this into a, a pile that's common. Yes. But then we've got all of this. Yeah. And so even the person who gives us information who seemingly looks like an outlier, we want to consider that because maybe that outlier, again, reveals something to us of importance. Like, why did that person actually abandon a particular solution? What was it about that? And what were the points that they raised? Because in our research interactions, we broadened the discussion, what were they able to tell us that makes us go, hmm, because the one thing I will also stress is, you know, qualitative research output, people like to quantify it. People also like to directly ask their participants what they want, Mm -hmm. which I also think is in error. They are not the designers. The design team is sitting behind us with researchers. I always think of them as sitting right there listening to everything we're doing. They're it makes no sense to go, so, you know, James, tell me what you would like, Per, what would you like? Mm-hmm. You don't know in that moment. You're not thinking about it as deeply. So if you just answer the question for the sheer, sheer sake of answering the question, you might be giving me an off-the-cuff response. Because you want to be a good responder. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Pre- that is, oh, my God, yeah. yes. <laughs> That's another loaded one. But yes, <laughs> precisely, yeah. right? So... So then you give an answer, and then what happens? If we play that moment out, yeah. I look at you and I go, oh, well, you know, you weren't a good respondent, mm. and that made no sense. And I just, I lose it in that moment. And then I come back and I talk to my team and go, Per wasn't really a good respondent. Yeah. Mm. 
right? And that's really not <laughs> yeah. fair. It's not fair to you, but it's not fair to the process. And it actually, unfortunately, gives qualitative research a bit of a bad rap. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, and I think what I struggle with is that a lot of people in UX lack the type of curiosity that you're describing yes. right now. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, it's supposed to be core to what we do, mm-hmm. that curiosity where you actually, you are open to it, finding out stuff that you would never have thought of finding out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to say something maybe controversial that you might get some feedback on. I do not advocate, especially, so let's, I'll take a step back here. When we look at research, there are multiple types of research. This was the workshop that I ran at the conference here that was all about understanding the different scopes that you go in or different lens of inquiry that you go into when you're doing research. There's sort of the wide open when you're really trying to learn about people, much more like the discovery and the exploratory research. And then there's more the validative side Mm -hmm. of things. Validation generally was what started this inquiry. It started with validation. And people still to this day try to shove as much as they can into validation. And the challenge is, is that when we look at this, we realize that validation only services us so much. So with validative research, what happens is is people sort of go at it and they start to... um, start to just make everything, again, quite quantified. What we need with the exploratory and the discovery side is that curiosity. We need to want to ask lots of questions. We need to want to go in completely unbiased, sort of with no charter in place. We do want to guide the conversation. So it's not like we want to be haphazard, but we don't want to go in with with any loaded assumptions, if that's fair to say. What we want to actually notice with the overlap is that when we have design researchers, we have designers and researchers in one role, they're exactly what you just said is they lose a little bit of the curiosity because half of their brain is tilted towards solution. When I listen to what you have to say, aiming for solution, I'm actually sort of jumping ahead of you. I I try to get ahead of you where I'm not even actually fully absorbing your story and really like like I said probing towards mm-hmm. the ends I almost like like to think of it as you know when you put your a glove on your hand you stick your hand in sometimes you're very rushed about it you just stick your hand in and it's functional mm-hmm. right it works you can sort of pick up something but you know when you really push your hand in and it goes all the way to the tips and you've sort of explored every nook and cranny of that glove that's what I believe researchers who are core researchers really seek to do. They have that element of curiosity. They have that interest in trying to get to the ends of every detail Mm. with no intent to solution in that moment. So I know when I say this sometimes, I've said this at conferences before, and people have come up and say, I disagree with you. And I'm fine with that. I'm perfectly fine with that. But I don't believe one person should do it all because there is a skill set. Yeah, that's yeah. different for each. You also have to go in with a lack of pride because what I, what I see is that yes. people go in and they try to actually find data that supports what they already believe. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. almost with an agenda in play. Yeah, and that ties in what we say about exploration and, and validation. I, I see a similar thing when I do work with analytics. That you, yes. again, it's just another type of research, but that that um, curiosity 
to kind of explore and find things compared to well, finding the answer to something as in, oh, we did this, we need to validate this better. Um, and that comes up in both quantitative and qualitative. Absolutely. And it, with quantitative, and, you know, it's not, and people for some reason, again, in history have pitted qualitative against quantitative, and I've never quite understood it. No. They just service two different parts of the story. Mm. Like quantitative, you want the volume, you want that velocity of data that's coming through and how quickly and how rapidly things might be changing. You can see shifts and patterns so well. It services a very important moment in time. But if you want to, again, describe the space, you can start with markers that are quantitative, but ultimately you will have to go back to quantitative because you need that depth. Mm. Uh, and that's where I think, I, again, it seems to be, <laughs> I almost feel like it's a bit of a joke. Like people are like, oh, well, you mustn't like quantitative data. I'm like, oh, no, I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love all data equally. Yeah. But it's just that both service a particular moment. Mm -hmm. But that curiosity, I think, I do, it's funny, when I do talk to fellow researchers who are just researchers and are not, like our job is to empower the design team to shine to do as much as they can, because they're already brilliant people. They just need to be able to anchor themselves in whatever it is that we're putting out there. But I I feel like that curiosity element is waning a little bit. Okay. And I wish people would be, you know, if you're happy, describe happy to me. Like, are you happy because the weather is beautiful? Are mm. you happy because you've had your morning coffee and you have no allergies? Mm. Like, what are you happy about? Mm. It's not just to take, well, happy as a box. I've checked it and yeah. I've moved on. Exactly. And, and even the words we use, like um, the word family, the word vacation, yes. they mean different things to different people. Yes. Uh, so that that means that I cannot just be content with the words that they're using yeah. back at me and I think I understand them. I need to probe and understand what, what does family mean for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing when you get to do that mm. and be able to describe it in ways that you can actually um, create meaning to that word because we use so many words aimlessly. So especially when we are trying to support designers, you know, if we as a group, let's say we are an organization, we say, you know, how can we create, you know, I, I used this example yesterday, we, um, in my workshop where we were talking about uh, affordability of housing in the city of Boston. Um, right now we're in the middle of a housing crisis. That was the background of the story. And what I told people is if you ask a designer, how can we create affordable housing? If you do not have an aligned understanding of that word affordable, mm, yeah. if we do not yeah. as a team have an understanding of how do we as a team define affordable? How do we describe it? But then how do our residents or people who are potential buyers, how do they describe affordable? Mm -hmm. If we cannot make those two ends meet, then I have no understanding how I can go and validate mm -hmm. we created affordable housing. Yeah. Yes or no. Right. I have no metric that I can measure against and therefore it's a bit hollow. That's where I think we get ourselves into trouble because, again, controversial maybe, people are just trying to speed to the end. They're not taking the time. And it doesn't take a lot of time, but we have to just stop a little bit and go, are we doing, are we getting what we need here? Are we asking what we need here? Mm -hmm. And it sort of 
refers us back to our initial conversation of making sure that we can get people to articulate their thoughts and expand that space and describe that space so that we do get what we need to sort of define these useless terms. Exactly. I did have one more sort of question. So you, you mentioned that um, about curiosity waning. You yeah. feel like... So why do you think curiosity is waning? And is curiosity one of those things that you can awaken in people? Can you, can you learn curiosity? You develop curiosity. Absolutely. I do have an answer for this question. I think curiosity is waning mm. because curiosity takes time. Oh, it's back to yes, look into mm. that. Mm. I think you need time. If I ask you a question today and you give me an answer and I do everything I can to get as rich an answer as possible, mm. I will guarantee you, you will come back tomorrow with even more because you've had a little bit of time to think about it. Mm. Now, we all know <laughs> in our work worlds, time is not something that we get afforded. So people are, again, constantly trying to rush forward. So, for example, especially with qualitative research, if you are doing, you know, one hour of a session with someone, you should be, the rough metric is you should be spending 2x of that time really thinking about their data. Mm. Teams want it in one-tenth of the time back. Researchers, I will say, and again, these, these are all quite contentious statements I'm putting out here, but this is honestly my true belief. Researchers have not done a good job of revealing the effort that it takes to actually do that work. Our job as researchers is not to just say, I have a question that I want to ask you and you have to answer it. We have to shepherd the team through a moment of reflection where they really think deeply about something, they think deeply about a story, how somebody describes that space, how we pull together everybody's data to then create structures to describe that space. These are all things that take just a little bit of time. I'm not taking months and months of time, but you definitely need extra hours in the week. Yeah. You cannot simply just turn around because that's why it has come to this moment of, well, if you want a quick turnaround, I'll just count numbers. Mm. But that doesn't tell you anything. If two out of seven people said that they felt that affordability is an issue in the city of Boston, what does that tell you as a designer? I'm going to advocate nothing. It's going to literally tell you nothing. Mm. You're going to go great, and then you're going to go back to what you're doing. Yeah. And therefore, they render qualitative research a bit useless. It's just more work that we had to sit in on and listen to, and I don't blame them. Mm. So it's... Part of, part of it is our ability to reveal a true process, to go through that effort, not only with our teams, but also to expose that effort with the participant. Getting somebody to open up about something, maybe it's personal, maybe it's medical. Tell me about your journey as you went through an illness or a condition in a hospital. That is not some, something somebody can just simply, you know, spitfire an mm -hmm. answer to. Exactly. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. We lose that human understanding there. Mm. So I feel so, it's such a warm feeling when you make a connection with someone. And in that moment, if you can get them to really think about things and go, you know, I never thought about it this way. Yeah. Or if they actually don't run away from your session <laughs> and they actually sit with you for five extra minutes and go, you know, you said something earlier. I said something earlier. We have this 
thing in between us called an activity and we've documented together, I can see patterns that I'm sharing with you. Beyond what you can see, I can also see them. Mm. It's so, it's so, it's a really magical moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Make, ta- make time and pursue the magic. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Thank yes. you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> I thought that was this was a really beautiful conversation and it made me reflect a lot on uh, how I conduct my work and how how open I am to different things happening during an interview uh, whether I ask questions or not uh, all the things that are as she says below the surface and there are so many things to uncover but often you have like a time limit for your research or your interview when you you want to at least get some value out of it and you have some sense of, I think this should be the value I get out of this interview. So you're constantly thinking about the interview rather than being inside the interview and being with the person. It's really, really challenging to do this right. Mm. I mean, that's something that I reflect on well, every time we do one of these shows, Per, is that you know we listen back to the interviews that we've done with our guests. Yeah. And then we record these bits. And and sometimes I I have no memory at all of the interview. No, exactly. The takeaways from listening back to it are completely different from doing it. Yeah, because mm. what inspires me, mm. uh, what, what leads my train of thought and questioning during the interviews that we conduct with, with guests um, isn't always the same as the reflections and the realizations I gain from listening back to me and you asking the questions sometime later. Exactly, because you and I aren't even the same people anymore because time has passed. We're in a different context. We're in a different state of mind. Mm. And the realization of how much that actually influences your perception and your interpretation of what someone else says is hugely important to understand what a difficult process it is to uh, synthesize knowledge and insights from your conversation with another person. Yeah. And, and this is just reflecting on mm. being the questioner and being the, the researcher and, and, you know, analyzing, synthesizing what we've, we've gathered. Yeah. But it, as we heard from, you know, the, the challenge is also on the other side of, of this, of, as the person put in the spotlight to answer the right question now mm. in this one hour interview, or whatever half an hour interview you've got with them. Mm. That's, um, that's daunting. Exactly. I noted down this quote from her, uh, half of their brain is tilted towards solution. I love that explanation of it because that is what is happening so often when you're in that situation. You're thinking about, well, if they say that, how could I potentially solve that for them rather Mm -hmm. than staying with them and figuring out, did I even understand what they said? I have this exercise I do when I teach where I show pictures of different individuals in different situations and I just show the words family, vacation, and a nice day. And the first picture is of a a young girl and the second picture is of a man in a third world country on a bicycle and he's selling fish. And the third picture is uh, of uh, a Porsche parked outside a luxury house. And so the concept of family and vacation and having a nice day are completely different. And you have to realize, well, they are completely different for everyone. So it's so easy to jump to the assumption that, yes, I understood what you just said, but it's very rare that you understand another person's situation in that way. And there's always more to discover. You always have to be more curious if you really want to get to the bottom of what they feel and what they experience. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But it also, I think, leads on to 
what Mina in the conversation, she she says gives the example about like uh, I think it was um, in, investment. It's like tell me how you invest and oh when did I last invest? You have to think about it. Yeah, and, exactly. And then you you can't spontaneously deliver all of the information you want. Maybe like you say, it's more complex. It's complex, and mm. your your recall and your memory is complex around it. And um, uh, Mina in her in the talk she did um, at the, well at the conference when we interviewed her, um, she was discussing the um or she gave us advice on how we can use artifacts i guess um in interview situations as a tool rather than continue to hunt for that right question and put the uh, interview participant in the spotlight to to feel like they have to perform they right. have to deliver mm. to to our question and um and there, there was some really really nice i mean i i'm terrible at this i'm really i'm really bad at remembering the the value of using um artifacts yeah. and mina reminded me or reminded us all in the in the talk about how the artifact doesn't have to be you know a, an object in in you know in traditional sense of an artifact it could be that you you getting the participant to um, create an empathy map together exactly you know, in, under the interview um, instead of you asking tell me about the last time you did x right you just need a piece of paper really yeah mm. um or or it could be that you're um you know you you're telling them um oh you maybe use a worksheet to help them structure the conversation or the dialogue better so instead of like going in at them and saying how do you um um how, or describe experience x and compare it to x experience y that other people might have um you know you can you can use templates in your work to to get this down on paper and and help help people explore their thinking and and i guess extract the research in a more organic and natural way than right. when you've just shined the spotlight on them. But it also makes question. it more inclusive and accessible because not everyone is able to articulate and explain and answer questions. And now you, you by doing that, what you just said, you take away the pressure. You don't, you're not answering questions anymore. You're exploring something together. So there's also the, the power imbalance becomes less because you're doing something together on a piece of paper instead. Yeah. Now I've gone back to thinking about the couch, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> that's that kind of the Pictionary. So, yes, well, Pictionary, because if we're talking about using templates and and writing and drawing and and so on, that it could quite easily end up in the coucher. It can, of course, you're right. So it's the same biases occur there as well. What you think they're drawing may not be what they're drawing. That's excellent, James. I love that. Yeah. But you're no, but the, yeah. The, the point isn't the the them begin to fill it in. A, they're not filling in for completion's sake. They're they're filling these templates in as as a vehicle for the conversation. Exactly. Love it. Do we have any recommended listening, James? Yeah, recommended listening. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw us back um, quite a long way now. Um, seven years ago, actually, to when we talked to Dan Brown in episode 170 of season one. Oh, was that the time uh, when he was in Stockholm? That's correct. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was your IA here in um, Stockholm, and um, we had a chat to him about discovery. So the discovery phase of of project and the you know doing the research up front for these kind of things and how you work with that. Mm. Excellent. I think it would be good to listen to. Good find. If you want us, us too, as part of your next conference event. You or, could have one of us if you really wanted. Uh, no. No? <laughs> the All other right. one will be a shadow tagging along. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're offering workshops, talks, courses to inspire and help you grow as individuals, teams, and organizations. And all you have to do is get in touch by emailing hey at uxpodcast.com. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. did the pebble say to the stream? I don't know, James. What did the pebble say to the stream? Water slide! <laughs> <sighs>